In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of the Holy Fifty Days, and we read about the dialogue that Christ had with his disciples before his crucifixion. And one of the things that Christ is, is speaking about is how is it that the disciples will know the Father. And he tells them that they will know the Father through him. He says in uh, John 14, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And then Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. So what Christ is trying to say is that through the relationship that they had with him as the Son, they would also know God the Father. Because this is the role that Christ played. Is he came to the world to reconcile us with God the Father. So he is coming to, to reconcile. So now that we know Christ, who, can, who we can see because he is incarnate in the flesh, we now know God the Father who is unseen. Because when God the Son reveals to us his will, this is the same will as God the Father. And when God the Son reveals to us his ways, his miracles, all the things that he does, this reveals to us also God the Father. So his intention, Christ's intention was that now that you have seen me, now you know about God himself. Who is God? He, I am God. Christ is saying, I am God. And because you have known me, now you know God the Father also. But the disciples didn't really understand this. They didn't really understand. And so Philip, he answered and said, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Well, actually, this is, this is contradicting what Christ just said. Christ said, when you know me, you will know the Father. And now Philip is saying, show us the Father. He, he's not understanding. And so Jesus responded to him and he says, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He's saying, well, this is the whole point of my ministry here for three years has been so that you would know me and then through knowing me, you would know the Father. And yet, they still did not understand. So we also look in our own lives and we say, well, there are many things maybe that God is trying to reveal to us that we fail to understand. Or maybe while we might understand them with some part of us, we understand them with our mind, we understand them because we've studied them or we read about them in the scripture. And yet when we look at the way that we practice and the way that we live, we might find that these things are really kind of foreign to us. We have been so... Uh, conditioned by the world to act in certain ways and these ways they sometimes or many times contradict the way that God wants us to live and so we, we, we have this struggle so I want to speak briefly today about some of the characteristics of God that we should know and some of these things uh, go counter maybe to the way that we've been conditioned the way we've been brought up the way we are used to in the world so that we should always keep them in mind the first characteristic of God that we should understand about him is that he values relationship over knowledge. He values relationship over knowledge. What is it that really God wants us to do? Uh, when we go to heaven, God willing, there's not going to be a test. There's not going to be a multiple choice questionnaire and we ask us, okay, you know, how many chapters are in the book of Matthew and, uh, you know, how many verses speak about this and the way that we would take a test here on the earth to test someone's knowledge. God is not going to you know, allow us admittance into heaven because of the knowledge that we have. He's not going to determine how much knowledge we have and say, well, based on this, you are, you know, you are, you are admitted into heaven. Um, but instead, he wants us to know him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to be in a relationship with him, which is why in the Christian life, relationship is much more important than book knowledge. Now, the knowledge is vital. The knowledge is important. 
how is it that I'm going to know something about this person that I love unless I read and understand his characteristics, his qualities, the things he has asked me to do? I'm not trying to downplay the importance, but the knowledge in itself is not sufficient. It's not enough for me just to have knowledge because, again, it's not a test. No one's going to come and give me a test, say, based on the knowledge you have, you're good. And this is a problem sometimes for us because um, we get very much caught up in knowledge. And even when we think about theology, when someone thinks, what is theology? Someone thinks maybe of someone as a student going to a seminary and studying a lot of information and having a lot of facts and being able to come and to wow people with all the facts that they have and all the history and everything that they know. That's not theology. Theology is the one who takes that information and then translates it into prayer and translates it into real love for God, translates it into service. This is someone who we can say is a theologian, not someone who simply has knowledge and is able to teach. In John chapter 5, Christ says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. What is, what is Christ saying here? He, he's, he's rebuking the Pharisees. He's telling them what? You read the scriptures because you believe that when you read the scriptures that you will find eternal life. And he's saying, yes, these are they which testify of me. You're right. The scriptures is what talks about me. The scripture is what declares me and tells the world about who I am. But what's the next part? You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Meaning all of the searching of the scriptures is good. But what is the next step? The next step is that you come to me and so then you will have actually life. Not just knowledge, you will have life. We get transfer it from just being knowledge to it being life uh, indeed. So we have to always keep this in mind. God wants a relationship. God wants us to put into practice the things that uh, he asked us to do. The next characteristics I want to speak about is that God values action over words. He values action over words. In Matthew 7, 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Also in James chapter 2, What does it profit my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? Again, it is easy for us to, to talk. We all talk all the time. We're always talking. Okay. But when we actually, it comes time for me to actually do something, when it comes time for actually me to take a decision or take some kind of action, we find maybe that it is much more difficult to do so. We find that all those good things that I say all the time, which sound right, and we believe, I'm not trying to say this is a hypocrisy in the sense that we are saying things we don't believe. We believe all of these good words that we say, and we want to live this way that we speak. But we find that it is much more difficult to put these things into action. It is, it is difficult. There is temptation. There is uh, resistance. There are obstacles for us to put things into action. And yet this is what God wants. So we should not say that simply because I, have, I say a lot of words, that I, that, I, that I speak to people a lot of good words, even edifying words, but this in itself is um, my salvation. Actually, St. Paul himself, he said, what I discipline myself lest I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. How could it be that someone like St. Paul, who went and he preached to the whole world, and he converted so many people to Christianity, that even in his own mind he's saying, what, this is not enough. This is not enough for my salvation. It is not enough that I just preach. It is not enough that people are converted. But I have to discipline myself. Because the work of salvation is, is something that is internal to me. It is not because I have done many, you know, 
things and spoken a lot of words, but God, what he judges our actions. He judges who we are inside. When Christ is speaking about the Pharisees, he is rebuking them. And he says to the people about the Pharisees, he says, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. The Pharisees, they say and do not do. The Pharisees were a perfect example of people that spoke many words and they were experts in the law. And in the eyes of the people, they were the ones that we should imitate. They were the ones we should follow and because they are, um, they are experts in the law and they're like the most uh, informed. Okay, But Christ rebuked them. He says, what, what they teach is good, but this is not what they practice. So listen and follow what it is they say, but don't do the same things that they do. Another characteristic of God that we always need to keep in mind so that we do not become like Philip, uh, who maybe while well, even he spent three years with Christ, he didn't understand uh, who he was or what he was trying to do, is that God values the eternal over the temporal. And this is difficult for us to understand sometimes because all of our senses are telling us about the physical. All our senses are revealing to us the world that we are in. And yet when we speak about the eternal life, when we speak about the spiritual life, when we speak about these things in heaven and angels, these things are much more difficult for me to comprehend and understand because my five senses don't perceive them. I don't perceive those things, not on a daily basis, not as I wake up in the morning. I don't perceive those things. Those things are not immediately in my mind. I have to believe them in faith. I have to believe that these exist and I have to take actions based on this faith and this belief, not because it is ever present before my eyes, not because I can hear the chanting of the angels, but because I believe with my heart and have faith that this is true. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So it's not just that we don't see the eternal things, is that the eternal things are the only things that really, really are going to exist forever. The, the, the things that we do see, all the things that we see now, are the things that are not going to exist forever, are the things that are going to pass away or going to fade away, even our own bodies, that we are maybe more than any other material object in the world, we are the most intimately connected to our actual physical bodies, and yet God tells us this body is going to die, and this body is going to fade away, and you're not going to have this body anymore. So if I believe that all that I am is my body, as many, many people nowadays believe, believe that all that I am is my body, all that I am is my brain, this is, is the essence of me. If there is nothing else, then, well, when my body decays away, then I will have nothing. I will cease to be because there is nothing else. But if I believe that I have a spirit and my spirit actually is eternal, that will live forever, then I believe that I will continue even though my body might pass away. This is important for many reasons, because as human beings, if we believe, even implicitly, even, even if we say, you know, I believe that we are eternal, but we're acting as though and we're living as though um, all that exists is the world, then I will have certain expectations of God that might not be met. Because God is saying, essentially, when he makes us a promise, he has an eternity to fulfill the promise. Right? So, for instance, we look to God for justice. We want justice from our enemies. 
And so we look for this. But we know many people, perhaps, and maybe ourselves, that we have not received justice. And maybe people who live and end up dying before, never having received justice for the things that was done to them by whoever, right? And we look and we say, well, God, why are you doing this? Aren't you a just God? Well, this is, again, because our perception is, is one of earthly, is one of temporal only. We are not looking at the situation the way that God sees. If God is eternal and he's asking us to have an eternal perspective, it means that God can bring justice even, even then, even at the end. When we die, that's not the end. There still can be justice given. And certainly this justice is discussed a lot about heaven and hell and so on. The kind of judgment that God is going to give to all of us is going to be based on our actions. It's going to be based on our faith. Okay? So without an eternal view of this, we can't say that God is just. And many people will conclude God is not just. Well, it's because we're having a only limited, temporary, temporal perception of, of God. There's many other things in Christianity that don't make any sense unless you have an eternal perspective. For instance, in the church, we fast two-thirds of the year. Okay, well, why do we do this? Some people will say, well, just enjoy yourselves. This is the only life you have. Just enjoy it. Why are, you, why are you limiting yourself? Why are you artificially restricting yourself for no good reason? Well, it's because we believe that there is an eternity. We believe that there is something else beyond this life, and that's why we do these things. Christian asceticism, in general, is insane if you don't have an eternal perspective. Why am I doing this to myself? It doesn't have any purpose. And maybe sometimes when we attempt to be more ascetic and we fail, to do so, maybe it's because we aren't having as much of this eternal perspective as we should have. The more I remember that this life that I am in is such a small, small aspect of my entire life that I will live forever, the easier it will be to start living for that life. After all, we are all used to planning. We all plan for things that we know for sure will happen. Many people begin saving money for their children's college education maybe a decade or more before they actually go to college. Because we know and we're certain that this is going to happen. The day will come when our kids are going to go to college. And if we don't have any money saved, what are we going to do? We save for, for all kinds of things. We plan for all kinds of things. The difference is that those things, because they're in the realm of the world, then we can understand them clearly. And we know for certain that they are going to happen. So we do not doubt. And it's easy for us to plan. It's easy for me to plan for something that I know is going to happen in a year or two years or 10 years. People start saving money for retirement. Can you imagine taking money out of your salary and saving it and putting it into account and saying, I'm not going to spend this money? Well, if you didn't believe for sure that you were going to have a retirement, then that would be a crazy thing to do. Just keep the money, spend it. Why are you, why are you waiting? You're saving it for what? The only reason we do that is because we're, we have a certainty that, that that day, God willing, is going to come and we're going to need that money. So we plan for it. The same is true with our, our salvation. If we know that the day is going to come when we will stand before God, then we should plan for this day. We should save up a spiritual treasure for this day. Another characteristic about God we should keep in mind is that God values innocence over sophistication. He values innocence over sophistication. He says in Matthew chapter 11, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. And he speaks to us and he says, what, unless you convert and become like little children, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean? What does it mean for us to be like little children? It means that we would trust God the way that children will trust their parents. We try to take on more control over our lives than we can have. 
more than we can affect. We cannot have as much control over things as we would like. And so when we start feeling weak, when we start feeling like we are not in control, we try harder. And we get stressed about this because we keep trying to control things we cannot control. But God is saying what? Surrender that you cannot control. Surrender. Wait for me to act and I will act on your behalf. He wants us to trust in him more than to trust in ourselves and more than we would trust in any other person and more that we would trust in our education or intelligence or influences or our popularity or our money or whatever it is. He says in James chapter 4, St. James says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. If I place my trust on these things, on these temporary things, then I will spend all of my life concerned and worried that these things are going to be taken from me. For instance, if we think about when we have stress over our financial situation, what causes us stress? It causes me stress because I feel like whatever money I have might be taken. I might lose it or I might not have enough. Or I think about something in the future and say, well, will it be enough? Or you think about um, people that are afraid of losing people that they love. The more that I place my trust in people or things that are temporary, the more stressed I will become because those things can be taken. And actually, in every single case, they will be taken. At one point or another, they will be taken. So if I place all of my trust in those things, then I will find myself always worried about keeping those things safe, about those things not being taken from me, and so on. But when we place our trust in God, that means we don't have to worry because God is not going to be taken. God is going to remain. Another characteristic of God we should always keep in mind is that God values obedience over service. And I put here service in quotation marks. Okay. Because this is the kind of service where we believe that we are offering service to God, but it's actually not what he's asked us to do. The perfect example of this is when God commanded King Saul to go and to kill the enemies of Israel, King Agag, and all his people, and all his animals, and to destroy all his possessions. This is what God commanded Saul to do. Go and kill this king, king kill all these people, and destroy all the possessions. Okay, But Saul, however, he had a different plan. He thought to himself, well, it would be a shame to do all of that. Maybe what's the harm in killing the king? Maybe if I keep the king alive, actually I have leverage over him. Maybe I can get something by keeping the king alive. Also, why would I destroy all his possessions? Maybe I should keep some of these possessions. Maybe there is something good. And he justified it. Actually, he justified even keeping the animals as offering it a sacrifice to God. So, for instance, when, when Samuel the prophet said, why are you have these sheep? Why didn't you kill the sheep? King Saul's response was, what? Well, I wanted to offer it as a sacrifice to God. Well, God did not ask for this. God did not ask for this sacrifice. We cannot offer something to God of which he has not asked, something that he has not commanded us to do, and actually sin against him to offer something that he wants. First Samuel chapter 15, it says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams so Saul had his own perception of what was right and wrong and he lived not according to what God has said but he lived according to what he himself had said 
to what he had you know, theorized, to what he had philosophized, to what he had considered and what his common sense told him, it doesn't make sense. Why is God asking us to do this? I think offering this as a sacrifice is a better idea. And, and so he justified himself when, when he was uh, accused and confronted by it. So we ask ourselves also, like, do we justify our actions according to what we think makes sense, even if it's against the command of God? For instance, many people who are Christians uh, live together like a man and a woman uh, without being married. And they justify it. And they say, well, we love each other and we want to be together. And maybe for whatever reason we can't be married yet or we're going to postpone that, but, but we're going to live together. In their mind, they're not doing anything wrong because they love each other. So they have taken the command of God, which is related to being married and, and saving yourself sexually, for when you are in a marriage relationship and they've morphed it and changed it and twisted it to be, oh no, as long as we love each other, then that's the requirement. The requirement is that we love each other. But that's not what God has said. And in their minds, they think that everything is good and fine and, and they're being kind and to each other and, and everything. But that is, that is not what God is saying, right? So we have to always be aware of what is our understanding of right and wrong. Is my understanding of right and wrong coming from what God has said, or is it coming from my own desires that I try to imagine and pretend that God is okay with this, even though he says that he is not? The last characteristic I want to speak about is that God values mercy over judgment. He values mercy over judgment. In Second Peter chapter 3, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's saying, why, when he says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, he's saying the Lord is not lazy. The Lord is not delaying for no reason. Maybe because we ask God, why are you not giving me justice over my enemies today? Why are you waiting? Why are you not doing something for me that I need for me to do today? Why are you waiting? Okay. So he's saying what? He's not slack concerning his promise, but he is patient with us wanting to wait so that no one would perish but all would come to repentance so god wants even the salvation of my enemies he wants those people whom i accuse those people who have hurt me and harmed me i he wants them to be saved right so god always wants mercy mercy you know even in our society when we watch movies and there's like good guys and bad guys and maybe the the good guy is harmed by the bad guy at some point in the movie and through the rest of the movie all we're rooting for is that the bad guy gets what's coming to him and by the end of the movie the bad guy dies or something horrible happens to him and all walk out of the movie theater feeling justified and feeling justice was done but the, it wouldn't feel the same if at the very end of the movie the the protagonist uh, forgives the bad guy and then they that's it like like that's how the movie ends that wouldn't be as entertaining a movie people would not be expecting that to happen nor would they think that that's even the right thing to do because part of us always wants revenge part of us always wants justice we always say you know what if this person did something wrong then they deserve this but actually God does not do this God wants mercy God is willing to forgive anyone God would have forgiven Judas if Judas had not killed himself so this is this is the what we should value we should value mercy over judgment. We see in the life of Christ that he forgave many people. One very good example is the right-hand thief. The right-hand thief had no opportunity to repent or to change or to atone or do anything. He was simply on the cross and he in that moment believed that this man was Christ, was the Messiah, and he asked him, 
remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said. That's all he did. He didn't have any opportunity to do anything else. And yet God forgave him. God had mercy on him. He didn't remind him of all the sins and all the things he stole and all the things, the sins that he committed. He just said, today you will be with me in paradise. So God wants to forgive us. God wants to have mercy on us. And he wants us also to do the same, not to hold on to grudges with people, even if the people do not apologize to us, that we maintain these grudges for years and years and years. This is not what God has commanded us to do, and this is not what God wants. God can forgive our enemies, while we ourselves maybe have not yet to forgive them, and we ourselves find ourselves um, imprisoned by the hatred that we might have. So in summary, we spoke about six characteristics of God that we should always keep in mind. The first one is that God values relationship over knowledge. He doesn't want us just to know facts about him, but he wants us to know him personally. God values actions over words. He doesn't want us to just speak about him, but he wants us to put those, those words into practice. God values the eternal over the temporal. He, he wants us to always remember eternity, not just focus on today or tomorrow or this life, but to look past this and to gain a greater insight into what God does based on this. God what values innocence over sophistication. He wants us just to trust in him and not try to feel like we are clever and intelligent and can take care of everything on our own. God values obedience over service. He wants us to obey him, not to obey what we think he would want or what, think, what we think he would be okay with, but what he actually tells us to do. And then finally, God values mercy over judgment. He wants us to forgive our enemies and that we ourselves will be forgiven of our sins. And glory be to God forever. Amen.